0: Welcome to another life impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything about what happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their city journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, "'Get up, Peter, kill and eat.' "'Surely not, Lord,' Peter replied. "'I have never eaten anything impure or unclean.' The voice spoke to him a second time, "'Do not call anything impure that God has made clean.' This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and a large gathering of people. He said to them, "You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anything impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, when I was when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me?" Cornelius answered. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God then Peter said surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days
1: thanks for reading Nick that was great
0: that could be the, a bit of a trend for the next uh, 12
1: weeks, perhaps, as we dive back into the book of Acts. There are some decently long sections that we're going to be thinking about um, as we dive back in uh, to the Word of God. If you missed before, I'm Simon. Um, if I've not met you, I'd love to meet you after the, the gathering tonight and say good Um I don't know if you noticed, but um, that reading we just had, Acts chapter 10, really significant for all of us. Um, Perhaps not so much if you're, you know, you're born sort of from a Jewish background, but if you are like me and you weren't born from a Jewish background, this is massive, this moment in God's Word. These events, um, basically, if these events didn't take place, probably none of us, most of us in this room wouldn't be Christians tonight. That's how significant this is tonight. So let's pray and uh, ask God uh, to speak to us tonight. Let's pray. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, we come to this text tonight with thankful hearts. Uh, Father, thankful for what it reveals about who you are and your character, Uh, we we see tonight that in you, Father, there is no favouritism. Father, you are a God whose arms are wide open to all people, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter perhaps what we've done, Uh, and Father, we just thank you for that great news. Father, help us to understand your word tonight by your spirit and by that same spirit, Father, enable us to share your heart for all people. So, Father, do a great work in us tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, There is this letter that was published in the Guardian newspaper online um, some time ago called, as you can see, A Letter to My Parents Whose Favoritism Ripped Our Family Apart. And probably just from the title, you can get a good sense of what the letter kind of went on to say. It was actually a pretty miserable letter, to be honest. Um, Let me just read a couple of excerpts for you uh, from the letter. The writer says, I was about five years old when I found out how deeply entrenched the favouritism in my family was. One winter's day I was drawing pictures with my younger sister. We kept asking my parents whose drawing they liked best and they always chose hers. So the very next drawing we did, I asked my sister to swap drawings with me. When my father chose my sister's drawings again, I proudly exclaimed, that's my picture. He replied, well I've changed my mind, I prefer this one. Words cannot explain how crestfallen I was. The writer says, my greatest letdown was when my parents were going to put their first two favourite children, my middle sister and brother, through university and they refused to fund me, even though I begged. I married young, I had kids, my parents didn't care one iota about my children, even though they lavished gifts and attention on my siblings' children. It's miserable, isn't it? Miserable. It's just awful. Of course, we don't know all the ins and outs of this person and their life, but it does sound, doesn't it, that their family was particularly, well, dysfunctional at some level. It's a shocking thing, favouritism. And yet, favouritism, that issue, is at the heart of the passage we just had read tonight. Uh, that's the, uh, and, and it just shows how instinctive it is for many of us to show favouritism, prejudice. And yet the, the central truth of our passage tonight is this, chapter 10, verses 34 to 35. Peter began to speak, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him, and does what is right. God does not show favouritism. Now, that idea, right, it's wonderful. God does not show favouritism, but it's, it's unusual in our world. In a world of fascism, in a world of nationalism, in a world of border walls going up, in a, in a city of snobbery, maybe, and some elitism, the living God says no to favouritism. No favouritism along cultural lines, no favouritism along national lines, no favouritism along socioeconomic lines, but if you're anything like me, we struggle with this. Now here are a few images on the screen that might kind of resonate with you. That the top left there, apartheid South Africa, you know, whites only. You know, it was reversed as well, blacks only in other parts. Up on the top right there is... Um, you know, if you're a Muslim, if you're in Saudi Arabia and you want to go to Mecca, unless you're a Muslim, you can't go there. So you're on the highway, right, and the sign says Muslims only, everyone else, you can't go to Mecca, you've got to go around to another town. You know, most of us in the West, right, we go, oh, that's just despicable. Apartheid, you know, you know racial division, and then religious kind of division, we go, that's just abomination, and yet I think we succumb to it ourselves as well. So, I don't know, images, you know, one nation scum. Or maybe for us it's, you know, prejudice against the first peoples of our country here in Australia. We struggle in our world. We struggle in the West. You know, we can vehemently denounce these things and yet so easily succumb, right, them and us. I could never be friends with, I don't know, I would never sit down for dinner with Pauline Hanson. I don't know. You know them and us. We're better, they're worse. It's very instinctive, instinctive to human nature to make those divisions, but the reality of the scriptures is the reality of the God we're praising tonight is that he is not into favoritism. He does not show favoritism but accepts every person from every nation and background. Who would come to the Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. That's what we're looking at tonight. If you're just joining us tonight, it's a good night to join us again because we've come back into the book of Acts. We've, we started in the book of Acts uh, last year. We pressed pause for a while. Uh, we got to chapter 9, verse 31. We pressed pause. We looked at a few other things and now we're back into the book of Acts for the next 12 weeks. What is Acts all about? I'm, I'm glad you asked. The book of Acts is all about this. Jesus Christ is building his kingdom, and it's unstoppable. That's the point of the book of Acts. The agenda of Acts is set back in chapter 1, verse 8. So in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, he's risen from the grave. He's about to ascend to the right hand of God, and he's got these witnesses, these disciples in front of him, and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then a little bit out into Judea, a little bit north into Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And we've been kind of beginning to track through these stages. And as we step back into Acts tonight, Acts kind of 9.34 through to 12.24, it's focused on the Apostle Peter as he breaks through all kinds of boundaries. It's really exciting. Um, Jesus had told the Apostle Peter um, back you know, earlier on that he would be like the foundational apostle, bearing the message, almost like having the keys to the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 2, he's the one who preaches the first recorded sermon that we have in the book of Acts. Thousands of Jews get rescued and come to know Jesus. Um, You jump forward to Acts chapter 8. Peter is the one who has to go and kind of confirm that Samaritans, former enemies of the Jews, Samaritans have come to know Jesus and then lay on hands and the Holy Spirit comes. And here in chapter 10, Peter again has to go, you know, kind of walk 30 miles, I think it was, or 50 kilometers, to kind of confirm that Cornelius and a bunch of Gentiles, that just means people who are not ethnically connected to Israel, had become Christians. To see that the Spirit had actually fallen on them as well. It had to be Peter who walked the 30 miles, the 50 K's from Joppa, to see this. Jews have become Christians in Acts. Um, Samaritans have become Christians in Acts. Now. Gentiles have become Christians. There's no favouritism. That's what we're going to look at tonight. And uh, you guessed it, three points, pretty original for me. Um, here we go. There is no favouritism, firstly, in salvation, verses 1 through 35. There is no fa- favouritism in the message, verses 36 to 43. And there is no favouritism in practice. Do you get the point? There's no favouritism. That's what we're thinking about tonight. Hopefully you've got Acts chapter 10 open in front of you as we think firstly about the fact that there is no favouritism in salvation. This is the bulk of the story, verses 1 through 35. There is no favouritism in salvation. Just to state the obvious, I know if you, as it was read by Nick, did you see that it's the Lord who drives this narrative? God is driving the narrative. So all the way through this narrative, you get this kind of cycle. So you get a vision or a divine word from God followed by a human action, and then someone gets welcomed in. So sort of a you know, divine visitation, an angel or a vision, um, so a human action, someone gets welcomed in. That's what we see. Um, this happens all the way through. So verses 1 to 8, an angel visits Cornelius, tells him to send Peter, who's about 50 k's away in Joppa. He's given the address. Cornelius does what he's told to do. Verses 9 through 23, the Lord gives a vision to Peter, And Peter does what he's told. So pick it up with me. Verse 9, chapter 10. Let me read. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a huge sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Verse 17, any wonder, right? Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so the vision, it's something to do with clean and unclean, right? That's surely kind of what's going on. We probably need to back up a little bit and think about where's this all come from? So back in the Old Testament, the, the bulky part of your Bible, um, God gave his people various food laws. You can eat these creatures, you can't eat these creatures. You can eat those ones, but not those ones. So no animals with a cloven hoof, uh-uh, can't eat them. Shellfish, I love shellfish. You can't eat shellfish, right? You, no, why? Why did God do that? Well, the reason was, this is what I think, the reason was Israel's living... It's a nation surrounded by other nations, and and they were living in a region where their neighbours were actually quite immoral, like deeply immoral. So, for example, the Canaanites, right? Child sacrifice was a normal practice for Canaanite people, a neighbour of Israel. That's pretty immoral, right? We're not talking about a bunch of people who smoke a bit too much marijuana now and then or have a few too many beers on a Friday night and get a bit wild on Hindley Street. We're not talking about that. These people were deeply, deeply immoral by any standards in world history. And God says, don't be like them. Don't defile yourself and be like them. And to help remind them about being distinct, he says, I'm going to give you food laws. So when you don't eat their food, it's a reminder that you're not to be like them. You're different. Now, it's a fairly blanket rule that God gave the people of Israel, right? You know, don't eat these kinds of foods. It's a bit like a parent telling a young child, don't take lollies from strangers. That's kind of what it's like. Is every stranger outside of the family, you know, kind of wicked and seeking to do me wrong? No. It's just safest to have a blanket rule. Don't take sweets from strangers, So don't blend in with the people around you, says God to his people. Some are okay. Yeah, absolutely. Some, totally wicked. But, you know, you're distinct. And and God is basically using the food laws as a way of teaching his people, right? Teaching you about moral defilement through kind of avoiding edible defilement to help educate you. Some animals, they're okay. Some, no. The problem was, though, over the centuries... God's people Israel, the Jewish nation, had perverted these laws and believed that somehow they, because they were, had these laws, they were better than everyone else. So rather than being a distinguishing mark, they became kind of a mark of superiority. You can read the Jewish works by a guy called Josephus, contemporary to the Gospels. Um, they were taught all non-Jews are dogs. You can read it. All non-Jews are dogs. Even in our passage tonight you can see the habits that took place chapter 10 verse 28 uh, chapter 10 verse 28 uh, Peter said to them you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a gentile or visit him That's actually not the best translation actually the the word law is actually in the original language the word custom it wasn't a law that you cannot relate to anyone unless they're exactly the same as you they developed this custom we just don't go anywhere near you dogs, basically. So they'd perverted it into this kind of them and us. We're better, they're worse. That's what had happened over time. Um, vividly, I remember this happening when I, I moved to Sydney um, in, when I was about 21. Um, Adele argues that I, I moved up to Sydney to chase her because I really liked her. I moved there for very other reasons. But anyway, um, I moved to Sydney uh, in about the year 2002. I was living in a share house, uh, the guy and a girl, rarely ever saw the girl, I don't know what she was doing but she was never around, the guy got to know him pretty well, he came to know that he had sort of some Jewish heritage in his kind of family and so one time he decided to go and travel back to you know, Jerusalem and to Israel and things like that and, and when he came back he really embraced his Jewish heritage. So he began to practice it and it became sort of more and more part of him. One day he came to us, the girl had finally come back from wherever she was, and he sat down and said, I'm moving out. And I'm like, okay, great. Didn't like you very much anyway. No, um, I'm moving out. I can't live with you anymore, he said. You corrupt me. And he was gone. Like vividly living this out in my life was this guy who said, he didn't say it was a dog, but basically that, I can't, you corrupt me. He was gone. And so Peter gets this vision, right? Everything you've known all your life, Peter, all these animals that I've said you mustn't eat them, you mustn't have those, that you've been brought up with, them and us. Everything is clean now and every, every creature is clean. And Peter's going, no, 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 no. That can't be right, God. Like all this stuff you've taught me, all this stuff that I've become to know and these customs... You can't be right, that's what he says in verse 14. So a voice speaks to him a second time, verse 15, God has made clean, do not call them common or do not call them unclean. And he gets the vision a third time. Why three times? Why three times? I think he's just a bit of a slow learner. But probably right when you've been growing up your whole life, 30, 40 years, where this has just been how you've done things, what you've known, Peter needed this three-time vision in order to help him overcome his favoritism, his prejudice. But things are changing, even in this episode. Three times he gets this vision, and he's thrown, verse 17, what exactly does this mean? Practically, what does this vision mean for Peter? So the Lord intervenes a third time. Verse 19, Um, have a look at verse 19. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Things are changing. Have a look. It keeps going. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Can you imagine, right? No, it's not just Cornelius who's a Gentile, but like all his mates as well. Peter's my going, what on earth have I got myself into? Um, but on it goes. But Peter made him get up. Um, uh, sorry, Peter entered the house. Cornelius met him and fell at his feet with reverence. But Peter made him get up. I'm just a man. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Even kind of worse, he's fully exposed now. He said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law, our custom, for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So then, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, verse 30, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent to you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord Lord has commanded you to tell us. Cornelius basically says, Peter... We know you have a message. We know you have a message. Tell us the message. And so he does. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men and women from every nation who fear him and do what is right. It's an enormous moment in history. This this moment in history is why I'm a Christian. It's why most of us are Christians here tonight, that anyone can know the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ from any background, from any nation, any people. I know many of us would would take this for granted. It's striking, though, when you see it in practice. A friend of mine, he works um, overseas with a Jerusalem Alliance church And he shared this wonderful story with me one day where um, he saw this in full light. There were two men walking down the street in downtown Jerusalem holding hands. That's what you do culturally in Jerusalem. Men hold hands, good friends. Um, They're walking down the road. One was a Jew, one was a Palestinian by birth. Holding hands, both Christians, both praising Jesus. It's wonderful. And that's in a culture, right, where People are brought up to, to hate the other, to distrust the other, to, to, to dislike them. Actually, almost some of them are trained almost to want to kill the other. But Yet here is a picture of the wonderful power of the gospel, bringing these two people together. There is no favouritism in salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ... He is a God whose arms are wide open to every nation, every culture, every subculture. There is no race, no nation, no class that God does not embrace. None. So what does that mean for us? We must be the same. Don't snub anyone. We don't rule out anyone. We don't think of anyone as too different. No one is too unpleasant. God does not show favouritism, and so his people can't either. There's no favouritism in salvation. There's no favouritism, secondly, in the message. What is this idea that if there's no favouritism in salvation, what's the message that kind of underpins this amazing reality? Well, there's no favouritism in the message. Peter begins to preach this message that he's come to give. And The truths here that he preaches are the things that underpin this idea that all people can come into the embrace of God through faith in Jesus. Peter, in this little message, just gives us all the ingredients necessary. And guess what those ingredients are? The life, the death, the resurrection, and the judgment of Jesus, the gospel. So Acts chapter 10, verse 36 through 38, we we meet again afresh, the life of Jesus. Have a look with me. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. You know the life of Jesus, says Peter. The life of Jesus, a life characterized by him crossing boundaries, the life where he touched lepers. He met with prostitutes. He, he spent time with and ate meals with the Gentile dogs, he, with tax collectors, with probably modern-day real estate agents and car salesmen and union people. I don't know. You know what he was like. You know what he did his life. And then Peter goes, you know his death as well, chapter 10, verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. Some translations there are probably better. They have, they hung him on a tree. Why does Peter say that? Why does Peter say they hung him on a tree? Well, back in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 21, if you were hung on a tree, you were cursed. And that's the point of Jesus' death. It's a curse-bearing death for all our failures and all our sins. The curse of sin is death. Jesus dies to take upon himself that curse so that we can go free. You know Jesus' life. You know his death. Verse 40, you know his resurrection. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. You know, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. He's risen. And then lastly, verse 42, Jesus will return. His life, his death, his resurrection... And verse 42, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus, judge of the living and the dead. That doesn't exclude anyone. Everyone will come before the Lord Jesus on the last day and be judged on the same basis. Have you loved the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? And have you loved your neighbour as yourself? The answer for every single person is no and no. All have fallen short. There is no favouritism in judgment because Jesus is completely fair as judge. There's, there's no private members. There's no fast track kind of through judgment. Jesus is completely fair. Um, most of my time in gospel ministry, I've worked in the Church of England or the Anglican Church. Um, and uh, I often at times get asked to, to baptise babies or was asked to baptise babies, babies of Belonging to mums and dads outside of our church community, um, I was kind of really convinced that that you know I really only wanted to baptize baby children in our church who were connected to our church family um, who'd been around for a while who were believers active in the church and had been around for a while um, but sometimes I get phone calls from people outside of our church um, you know kind of wanting to have little Oliver or little Abby baptized at our church um, the main reason they wanted little Abby or Ollie kind of baptised at our church is because, well, they wanted the certificate so they could get into the, you know, the Anglican school, you know, kind of get across the line, have all the documents together. Um, I'd often refuse. Anyway, I recall this one conversation um, with this mum once, and she came to me. She wanted her little daughter baptised, and I said, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to baptise your child. You don't belong to this church. Um, as far as I know, you're not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do it. She walked away quite disappointed. Ten days later, I got a call from her husband. He wanted to meet up. You know, you can imagine. Here we go. He sat down and he said, will you baptise my baby? And I said, I can't. You're not believers in our church. You're not believers. You're not connected to our church. I can't do it. He opened his coat jacket and pulled out a checkbook and wrote, name your figure. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, just name me a figure, I'll write you a check. And I went, no, I don't, you don't understand. I, I'm not going to lie, I can't do that. And he said, Simon, just, just tell me the figure. So I'm sorry, you don't understand. There is no figure. And right now you're wondering, what would that figure be if I actually could write it down? <laughs> Six figures, seven figures, that would be pretty good. We could do all kinds of stuff for that go on annual holiday? No. (laughs) There is no figure. No figure. You can't buy this. You can't buy your way through judgment. You can't buy your way into the kingdom of God. There is no favoritism because you are wealthier. There's no favoritism because you grew up on the right side of town. There's no favoritism because you went to that school. None. None. And that's why verse 43 is such good news, right? Verse 43 again, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is such good news. Yes, if you trust in Jesus' curse, bearing death for your sins, you can know complete forgiveness. You'll know the verdict on that last day, and you can live life full now. It's available to everyone who believes in Jesus precisely on the same terms. The wonderful truth here in Acts 10 is that anyone can become a Christian. But alongside that, everyone must become a Christian if you want to be forgiven, free, and have eternal life. So the question tonight is, have you done that? There is no other way. There's no favouritism in judgement and salvation. It's only through trusting in the work and the person of Jesus. There's no favouritism in the message, and that's what produces this wonderful outcome of all people. No favouritism. There's no favouritism in salvation. There's no favouritism in the message. And thirdly and briefly, there is no favouritism in practice. So Acts Chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's, you know, Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. But they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered. That they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Um, Peter turns up, it's like, it's like a mini Pentecost had to happen. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon these people. Peter was there to witness that these Gentiles in the house of Cornelius had become Christians. Affirmed, bam, life-changing, history-changing stuff. Not all the people, particularly the Jews, were all that excited. Um, so if we haven't read it, but if you flick forward into the first part of chapter 11, you see this, verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticised him and said, you know, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with them. How could you do that? Peter explains what had happened and they go, wow, that is wonderful. This is amazing. And check it out right at the end, verse 18 of chapter 11. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, "See so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. It takes time, doesn't it, right, to overcome entrenched prejudices. It took a long time for these people to do it. It can take a long time for us. I think the reality is, right, you, you can know this stuff in your head. No favouritism. God accepts all people on equal terms. But in your habits, that's like another reality, isn't it? So here's the question that's been on my heart and mind. This is the question that's been troubling me all week. You know, I don't like being a preacher half the time because I have to sit with this stuff all week. You just get to hear it on Sunday night, right? Um, this has been chewing me over but here's the question this has been troubling me all week it's, it's a bit of a thought experiment right if God gave me a vision like Peter had you know in a big white sheet descended from heaven what would be on it for me what would be in that sheet for me what would be in that sheet for you I don't know perhaps a filthy dirty blanket a piece of cardboard and a dodgy sleeping bag because we know god accepts all people equally but i find homeless people they're a bit awkward you know maybe it would be a, i don't know a string of pearls uh, a european suv parked at burnside You know, because, I mean, God, God welcomes all people, but we're inverted snobs, really. We don't like posh people. They're so privileged. I don't know, maybe in that sheet for you or for me is, I don't know, a a piece of music or a, a file or something like that of music, you know, maybe goth or trance or dance or, I don't know, grime music. You know, everyone's equal, but I don't like the culture that kind of comes with that kind of music. I don't know. Perhaps for many of us it, it's a, a burqa because, because God accepts everybody but I don't, know, I don't like how the Muslims are kind of moving in in our country. I don't know, perhaps for many of us it's, it's body pain, it's the, it's the aboriginal flag. It's, you know, I mean we know God accepts all people but you know, the lifestyle and the choices of our first people they just, I don't know. What would be in your sheet? What would be in my sheet? You know, Peter said, verse 34, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts people from every nation, every culture, every subculture. Yeah, and that's, that's Jesus Christ, right? You know, the, the one who came from riches to rags to die for people who hated him. In fact, the whole reason Jesus dies on the cross is because we've rejected him and therefore we mistreat others as a result of that. And yet he said, here are people who hate me, but I will serve them by dying for them. I won't discriminate. I won't say those people are from the wrong tribe, those people are from the wrong colour, those people, they're too bad. No, he said, I'll die for all people. And they'll be forgiven if they put their trust in me, if they believe on my name. And therefore, here's a call for you and me to be like that, like Christ. Christians, we cannot give in to prejudice. We cannot show favoritism. We cannot do that. And this is wonderful, and it's unusual as well. Scott Sauls, in his book, Befriend, writes, Compelled by the love of Christ, we must not withhold kindness or friendship from any person or people group. And we must not engage in any sort of us-against-them posturing. Compelled by the truth of Christ, we must honour and obey the Creator's design. His ways and His thoughts are higher than ours. There must not be a hint of racism or bias or favouritism amongst us here at City Light North Adelaide. I pray that's the case. You know that letter that I talked about at the beginning? You know, a letter to my parents whose favouritism ripped our our family apart. I hope that no one ever writes a letter to the advertiser. You know, that City Light mob at North Adelaide, they ripped my, I don't know, faith apart because of how they showed favouritism. Let us not be thus. We cannot show favouritism because we worship a God who doesn't show favouritism. And dare I say, God, I reckon he's radically more welcoming than you and I. May God help us to be more like him. Because he's a God whose arms are open wide. We're going to pray in response to what we've heard tonight in a slightly different way. Um, as the band members come up, I'm going to invite us all to stand. And um, yeah, stand. That'd be great. And uh, there's a prayer on the screen, which I'm hoping I'm um, keen for us all to pray together. Um, it's a prayer that is kind of responds to what we've heard tonight at the beginning and then is a prayer basically helping us as a church here in this country to help us overcome perhaps some of that prejudice and favouritism, our our issues, particularly against those of the first peoples of our nation. So I invite you to pray with me. Um, Let's pray together, then we'll sing. Creator God, you made from one man all the nations of the world, and determined where each should live. We give you thanks for what we have heard and seen tonight. We praise you, the true and living God, that in you there is no favouritism. Help us to be more like you for the good of your world and the salvation of many. Inspired, moved and compelled by the love and truth of Christ, We bring before you the first people of Australia. We acknowledge the history that has damaged the relationship between them and later arrivals to this land. Thank you for the steps that have been taken on the journey towards reconciliation. Deepen this process amongst us. Guide national and community leaders to speak the truth in love, to seek justice with mercy, and to care for those who are disadvantaged. Give Indigenous and non-Indigenous believers grace to demonstrate the new family you are making in Christ, out of people from every nation, tribe, language and people, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful, and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.